Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're in our Hebrews study. If you're joining us online, if you're visiting, uh, we only have 11, 12, and 13 to go in this wonderful book written to the early church, primarily to Jewish believers, but also to all believers, Gentile or Jew alike. It's been a great... Have you guys been enjoying the Hebrew study? Uh, I've been enjoying it. I mean, I know that uh, you know, I mentioned Sam, and Sam Nadler, Dr. Sam's a good friend of mine, and he tells me, you know, whenever he goes and does new church plants, when he teaches doctrine, he teaches Romans and Hebrews. Romans and Hebrews. Why? Because they're both so foundational to Christian doctrine. Both of them are so important in understanding grace and where Israel fits in and how Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament types and shadows, and so we've been seeing that. Uh, but today we're entering a, this look at faith, even though we've been talking about faith. So let's take a look at verses 1 through 3, short, short few verses that we'll be looking at today. Starting verse 1, if your Bibles are open. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for the anointing of your spirit on this time in your word. Lord, I pray for your spirit upon me. Guard my mind, my tongue. Lord, may everything I say bring honor and glory to you. Remove me once again from the equation that Jesus and Jesus alone might be glorified. Lord, I can never do justice to your word, but Lord, I pray for your help. I pray that you would open the eyes of my brothers and sisters. And Lord, if anyone here doesn't know you, they haven't come to you by faith, today would be the day that they give their lives wisely and humbly to Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So what is faith? And what does it really mean to have faith? Even non-Christians use the word faith it's not unusual to hear someone say, I have a lot of faith in so-and-so. Uh, or, hey, I have faith in you. To hear something along the lines of, they are, a, they are a person of faith. You ever heard these statements? Of course we have. But God doesn't, how, does, how does God define faith in the Scriptures? That's something we'll be looking at as we open the 11th chapter here in Hebrews. And all throughout the 11th chapter is a composite view of faith that's lived out in the lives of those that have gone before us. If you're saved, your life may be vastly different, but you possess the same faith as the saints of old. And yet, God has told us to grow in faith, and to walk in faith, and to exercise faith. In other words, Faith is not a static thing. It's not like this pulpit that's just a piece of wood that just sits here. Your faith is not dead wood. It's a living, Jesus said, you're the branches into him. Your faith is alive. But it's to govern our lives, and it's to expand in our lives. Now, prior to chapter 11, the word faith appears five times in the first 10 chapters. The word faithful is used an additional four times, twice in reference to Christ, twice in reference to Moses and the life of Moses. But here in chapter 11, the word faith is used 14 times. 
in chapter 11, 14 times. Faith has been in the backdrop of every chapter if you've been with us. But chapters 1 through 6, they focus on the superiority of Christ as a person. He's the only perfect man. Chapters 7 through 10, they focus on Christ as the superior high priest. He's the only perfect high priest. You guys remember this from our other studies, right? Some of these things might come back to you. Now, with the transition of verse 1, and here in chapters 11 through 13, it will close out with the superiority of a living faith. Superiority of living faith. And that faith is in the superiority of the risen Christ. If you're taking notes this morning, you see the title, The Foundations of Faith. As I mentioned, the writer has already spoken of faith in previous chapters, but here is led by the Spirit to define faith. After all, we can't touch, taste, see, hear, or smell faith, right? It's not visible to the senses. And the world... It has a perception of faith. But as far as our souls and our lives are concerned, only what God says about faith really matters. You agree with that? Only what God says about faith really matters. Faith is absolutely essential to having a relationship with God the Father. We looked at the glorious access in the throne room of God. Remember, up in the throne room behind the veil. It's because of Jesus we have that access. But without faith, there's no salvation. And if there's no salvation, there's no access to God. Long before the coming of Christ and the writings of the New Testament apostles and epistles, the scriptures made this clear. In Deuteronomy 32.20, look at the screen. And he said, I will hide my face from them, being God, I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation. You can think of our own country. Children of whom there is what? No faith. God says way back at the beginning, the issue is, do you have faith or don't you have faith? Are you living by faith? Are you living by sight? No faith, no relationship. But even if we've come to faith in Christ and we're now in communion with God, as most of the readers of Hebrews could testify, God wants to deepen our appreciation and our understanding of faith and deepen our dependence on him. As we'll see in the coming week, there's only one source of faith. There's no shortcuts to faith. There's only one source of it. And personally, I find it reassuring that when it comes to faith, something God's going to require of all of us and does require of all of us, we can ask him to grow it in our lives. And he will if our hearts are sincere. I love what the apostles asked. They said in John, uh, Luke, uh, Luke 17, 5. I got it. Try on the screen. I almost made a mistake there. I almost said John. It's not John. It's Luke 17, 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. I've prayed this prayer hundreds, if not thousands of times. The Lord, increase my faith. Now, we'll see at the end, you can't pray that prayer and not live in the Word. We'll see that at the end. You can't just pray that prayer and not live in the Word of God because the two go hand in hand. But the disciples, they not only were living in the Word, they were living with the Word. Jesus was right there with them. Amen? And He's right there with us if we're in the Word. We all need an increase, but it starts 
with an understanding and understanding the importance of faith. Let's take a look. If you're taking notes, just two bullet points today we'll be looking at. The first one I've titled, Unseen But Convinced. Are you convinced of all that God has said to you? Are you convinced of what God says in his word? I've never seen God. I've seen, I know some televangelists say they have, but I have never seen God at any time. I've never seen the kind of miracles that Jesus performed. Have any of you? I've read about them, but I've never seen them. I've never seen Jesus personally. I've seen the work of Jesus in my life. And yet I am 100% convinced that God is real, that he's on the throne, that he's sovereign over the universe, and that his son Jesus is alive forevermore and is the reason that I will someday, and you if you're saved, will see him face to face. Amen? What I can't see physically right now, I can see spiritually by faith. The same is true in your life if you're saved. And this is what the writer is underscoring. Faith is unseen just as God is unseen, at least for now. But the evidence of faith is certain, and the evidence of God is certain. As I've said last week and many times before, everyone has faith in something. You agree with that? Everybody has faith in something. They have faith in MSNBC. They have faith in the president. They have faith in the Speaker of the House. They have faith in their health insurance. Everybody has faith in something. If it's in anything but God, it's worse than misguided. It's a road to ruin. If your faith is in anything but the Lord. Our faith, if we've come to faith, is not a blind faith. I'll come back to that in a few minutes, because our faith is not blind. God's given us things we can stand on. But let's examine for a few minutes what it means to be convinced and the proof and the impact of faith. Verse 1 tells us, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the substance. It's the evidence of things not seen. Let's break this down for just a moment. Let's see what this means to us. Now, first of all, the word faith in the Greek, it's a conviction of anything, a belief respecting man's relationship to God, generally with the included idea of trust and holy, look at that word, fervor, born of faith and joined with it. In other words, real faith has a fervor to it, has a holiness to it. And the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, the, the, the word meant faithfulness or trusting. So I've given you both the Greek and the Hebrew word. Now, a word that is closely related to faith all throughout the Bible and here in chapter 11 is this word we also use. Jesus said you had to what? Believe in him. In some ways, they're synonyms, but they are two sides of the same coin, believe and faith. And you can also throw obey in there as well. They, all three of those words, faith, believe, and obey, are all closely related words and are they're interchangeable as well. From a doctrinal standpoint, you can throw and obey, faith, or believe, and they all work in any biblical perspective. But believe in the Hebrew, it means to support, to confirm, to be faithful, to nourish, to make firm, to stand firm, to be reliable. What does all this mean? And that it was understood in the Old Testament that a person that had faith and believed in God was visibly changed. 
you could see that they had a fervor for the Lord. You could see that they nourished their life spiritually. There was not a n- neglect like, eh, I already, you see people sometimes, I already asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, so I really don't have to do anything for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I'm good. I, I said the prayer. Now I can go back and kind of run. No, no. If you have true faith and true belief, you all of a sudden have a fervor for the Lord. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are becoming new. In other words, it was visible. You knew if someone really had faith. Jesus said it this way. You'll know them by their He didn't say, man, you would have to really rack your brain and figure out, I I think they're saved, but man, they live like the devil. No. He said you would know. It would be visible. It would be evident to all. So we have to understand the way of faith was described by God and the way it was described by the writers of the Bible is to see that faith produces a visible faith coming out of their life, devoted standing firm. It brings a life of conviction, which also is synonymous with commitment and a holy fervor and faithfulness. You you can't say, well, I have faith, but I'm not faithful. Jesus said the only ones that will enter into heaven, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well, you know, you did say a sinner's prayer. You did claim faith. Remember we talked about last week, there's a big difference in Professing faith and possessing faith. Professing versus possessing. We talk about salvation, but salvation and faith are one and the same as well. So it brings a life of conviction and a holy fervor and faithfulness. Now, unless you're saved, you can't be faithful. We are naturally really just wretched, wicked. Even after all these years, I know I now understand 25 years of being saved, why Paul said he was the chief of sinners. At present state, he said that. He wasn't saying, well, I used to be a really, uh, really kind of lame guy. No, I know. Tim, 51 years old, I am still the chief of Senate, wretched now, and yet somehow, even as wretched as I am, I can still live by faith because our wretchedness is compared to the righteousness, right? Our wretchedness, his righteousness. There's no scale that will ever, we should always feel like, Lord, we bring nothing, zero to the table. And yet we can look at our life and say, but hold on a second. As wretched as I am, I now want to read my Bible. I now want to pray. I now want to talk to people about Jesus. And yet we still see, like Paul said, a wretched man that I am. Matter of fact, you become more humble. You have a a legitimate humble, not a kind of pious, like the Pharisee, look how humble I am. But it's a, a real, like, Lord, I'm just thankful for your grace. So this life of faith. It brings this um, work in us. We become reliable. We become firm in our, in our beliefs, and we're, we're built up and strengthened by the Lord. The Old Testament understanding of belief that it has this visible change, that real faith and real belief produce a righteous action in life, men and women. And it's why circumcision was what? An outward sign of an inward change, right? It was an outward sign. That's why we see that there had to be, God gave a symbol to say it would be definitive that when someone has come to faith, people would see the the sign of faith in your life. And it's that fervor. It's that commitment. It's that saying, I am not leaving the feet of Jesus. 
I don't care what the world says. You know, someday the world is going to say, well, now right now it's like certain places like Costco. You aren't coming in Costco without a mask. It's the way it is. Other places, someday they're going to say, you're not coming in Costco without the mark of the beast. Someday. Now, I don't plan on being here for that. If you are, then I, you know, come to Jesus now. I don't plan on being here for that. But we might see we might see certain actions long before that that have to put a line to say, and you have to decide, am I going to live by faith or am I going to live by fear? Well, they said I better do this, and so we have to live by faith. Long before the Antichrist, Daniel got thrown in a lion's den, didn't he? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown in the fiery furnace, right? So... We're going to be looking at these lives. Names of these men are in this 11th chapter, the, the hall of faith it's called. But again, that circumcision was a representation of that inward change. Now, what about the word substance? How does that relate to faith? Let's take a look at the word substance if you take a look at the screen. The Greek meaning here, setting or placing under structure, foundation, that which has actual existence. Aren't you glad you believe in something that really exists? Steadfastness of mind. You know, a lot of people believe in religions that are just false. The reason why Paul said, you know, he said, I will not cause someone to stumble eating food that was sacrificed to an idol. But Paul said, I know that their gods don't exist. So I can eat the steak, the T-bone that was offered to the idol because their God doesn't exist. The demons behind the God, they do exist. And that's why they're leading people to hell. But the God itself, there is no Zeus or Apollo, right? They're just fictitious. Now, there's demons behind the false religions of the world. But Paul said, hey, these things don't exist, but Jesus does exist. He really is sitting on his throne. So we have a substance, a firmness, and it gives us, look at the other words it gives you, courage, resolution. I've said many times, and I'm never, this is not hyperbole when I say this, I've said many times, if I did not know that my salvation was real, the Bible is real, that Jesus is on the throne, and I have a home in heaven, there's no way I'd pastor, period. I would take another career. Today, I would be done. On the other hand, if I know it's real, I cannot move. I need to have resolute. I need to be sta stationed right on my place on the wall. And you do too. You have a calling, whether you're a a mom, a stay-at-home mom, a businessman, a carpenter, a plumber, whatever it is, you have a calling, but your calling is in Christ, not your other titles. He'll help you do those other things well, and you do need to do them well. Because we all have a time that we're supposed to minister in those capacities or, or be a witness of a hard worker at work, and when everybody else is slacking up, you, you still look like, no, I work as unto the Lord. All of those things matter, but... You have to have a steadfast, a firmness, because you're standing on something firm, and it gives you clarity. It gives you clarity that you're able to say, whether church is online or in a building, Jesus is on the throne, and I am going to serve him. This, this pandemic hasn't taken me one inch away from the Lord. It's just closer to the Lord. When I, when I share the message on let's not return to normal, I'm going to be speaking mainly to the church because I believe God is saying, look, get, gather closer to the fire of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what he's saying. If you believe these things, as we saw in the 10th chapter, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together, but even more so as you see the day approaching. That's back in chapter 10. If we have genuine faith, God's definition of it, we have a firm foundation to build our lives on. Everything we are hoping for and believing in is solid. Amen? Everything you're hoping for and believe is solid as a rock. Harder than a diamond. I don't know. I don't get all bent out of shape. Any of you guys watch the media lately? If it just went away for like a thousand years, I'd be happy. But, uh, you know, if you, um, I don't get bent out of shape about it anymore. I, they're just lost people. I pray for them. Don't get angry at them. Don't say, I can't stand that person. You know, no, no, pray for them. I don't care if they're Republican, Democrat, right, left, CNN, Fox. You know, just pray. Say, they all need the Lord. And what they're trying to do is they don't, have, they don't have the solid ground of Jesus to stand on, so they're making stuff up as they go. And they believe their own lies. And, they, and because they're petrified, they want you petrified. And Jesus is saying, come unto me, all you are weary, heavy laden, fearful, anxious, depressed, all these things. I want you to stand on me. You know, remember that song, Lean on Me? Jesus said, lean on me. Lean on him. Everything we're hoping for is solid, and because of that, our belief can be solid. The word of God becomes more important to us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. No, I can't see Jesus, but I'm standing on the rock of Jesus. There's no way that I would have survived many things that I've personally gone through. Some of you have gone through many things as well. I, I, if I start rolling out my list, some of you say, I didn't know. By the way, I never make assumptions about people. When I look up at the few of you here, my guess is you've gone through things that I've never known you've gone through. That's my assumption. Now. I used to assume that, you know, uh, that, you know when you, the more immature you are, the more self-focused you are, you think, they got it easy, I got it hard. But then you come to realize that no one really has it easy. But to come through things, we all have to have this substance. We have to know what we're hoping for. That word hope I talk about all the time is a joyful expectation. We have to know an expectation. It's not like I hope to win the lottery. I have a one in eight million chance. Now, if you hope to be in heaven, you're saved, you have a one in one chance. A one in one. It's done. It's signed. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have substance to stand on. If you are standing and hoping and believing by faith, the word of God becomes more important to us. Heaven becomes more assured to us, becomes more real to us. Fellowship becomes more of a blessing to us. Prayer becomes more essential and more powerful to us. The return of Jesus becomes more comforting, not something like, man, I'd like to put it off for 10 years so I can do all my bucket list. No, it becomes more comforting to us. Your bucket list won't matter when you're in the presence of God. Amen? You'll be like, wow, even a dumb word, bucket. Why would even we call it something like that, right? That doesn't even, that doesn't even sound like amazing. We can't ever separate the focus of our life from the reality lived out. In other words, what we're focusing on is what we're going to live out. 
what we really focus on is how we're going to live. The same is true of faith. The intention and the focus of our faith becomes real and visible in our life and the outward manifestation. If, we're, if our focus really is the faith of the forefathers, our lives will be transformed. It will become visible on the outside. It's so obvious. It says here, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Yeah, that's, that's part of it that most people, everyone loves verse 1, but a lot of people just overlook this next one. By it the elders obtained a good testimony. It's obvious why the elders or also the patriarchs is another term you can use, and that's actually used uh, in the next section. Uh, but the ancient men of God are referenced here. These are the ancient men of God, the earliest men that walked by faith. And their faith was not a statement. If it was just a statement, they'd have no testimony. Their lives backed it up. Does that make sense? The only reason you can say testimony is they had survived and thrived through things. In other words, Noah came through a flood, as opposed to saying, I believe God will send a flood. Well, now God says, now test to see, do you really believe that? Right? So we'll see all this in the, in, in the rest of chapter 11. It's one thing to profess, but when you actually live it out, you can now testify, which is a whole different ballgame. They were transformed. They put their full faith and trust in God. And so we can look now and say, wow, these guys really believed that stuff. And they changed the world as God did it through them. You can change part of your world and your family. You can, uh, you know, I know in my own family, I, it was Mother's Day. When was Mother's Day? Was it last week? It seems like a month ago. But anyway, it was last week. So I was thanking my mom. Her prayers, one by one, every one of me and my brothers and sisters came to faith in Christ, one by one. And we weren't all saved at one point. But uh, her prayers of faith have led us all to faith. And so you, if you start walking with Jesus, you never know who God will be using you to reach, and that will become part of your testimony. You'll be able to testify that, hey, God changed my outlook, my prayers, and these things have happened, and these people have come to know the Lord, and, and this person is now serving Christ. Because the patriarchs didn't just live for God, they impacted other people who also. Joshua sees Moses and says, I'm going that direction. Caleb sees Moses, I'm going that direction. So they had impact. They could testify. And this whole 11th chapter is going to talk about these individual lives as we examine what faith looks like. God didn't change these patriarchs, these elders, but they did change. God never changed. Abraham, all them, God, cha God changed them, their lives, and we'll see what God produced in them. Last thing we want to look at this morning, which is uh, found in verses 3, well, just verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. If you're taking notes, understood and believed. Although we cannot see God, we can see what God has created. Amen? I love to get out in nature. Uh, I've said many times, I wish our uh, roof was retractable here. You know, I love the outside. I love the clouds and all that stuff. That's not going to happen. If we retract this roof, the whole building. This, this building's old. It would just collapse. It wouldn't be a great idea. But it would look cool for a second, and then it would be a, a really bad idea. But, uh, but we can see 
a created world. And when we see a created world, we recognize there has to be a creator. There has to be a creator. We look at a painting, we know somebody painted it. Didn't paint itself. In Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation, the scriptures never apologize for truth. They only express truth. Never apologize. Paul didn't say, I don't need to defend creation. No, no, he just says it. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, here God is admitting to us all that, yes, my attributes are invisible. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and godhood, so that they are without excuse. Everyone that sees, oh, look at that beautiful mountain. Look at the, uh, you know, how does a chameleon change all its colors like that? And all, you know, all this stuff. Uh, one of my pastor friends, Tony Clark down in um, Newport News, he cracked me up. There, someone had posted a, a picture of some bird, uh, some tropical bird, and it is, it's got like, I've never seen a bird with this many colors on it, and they're fluorescent. And, you know, Tony was being funny, so he posted out, uh, he, he said, billions and billions of years ago, a bunch of colors collided, and this bird <laughs> flew, flew, flew out of them. And, you know, so it's just funny stuff that, you know, the things that people look at. But we all have the same external evidence, don't we? We're all looking at the same birds, same mountains, same rivers, same oceans, sea to shining sea. We're all looking at the same things. But what, would, what do we do with the same evidence? As I've said, our faith is not blind. Not only were a number of the great scientists in, in history uh, happened to be, a number of them happened to be Christians, men such as Johann Kepler, Isaac Newton, Louis Pasteur, and Samuel Morse, where we get the Morse code, but a bedrock component of science is what? Observation. What we observe. So when you see people that believe in evolution, they believe in the Big Bang Theory, Harping on, you see this a lot these days. The media loves to talk, we believe in science. We're going to base all our decisions on science. Everything's about science, 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 science. And then when you see, they can't even distinguish that a baby is fully a human being in the womb, but they talk to us about science. I'm like, you don't care about science. You care about your own will. But when people are harping on science and they want empirical evidence then go ahead and ask them if you get the opportunity to talk to someone one-on-one. -on -one. I've had this opportunity many times. I have friends that are still atheists uh, that I still sometimes have grabbed lunch with, and I, they try and win me to atheism all these years later. There's <laughs> no chance. But, uh, and I try and talk to them about the Lord. But you can ask them, say, where in true science and observation has it ever been observed that something comes from nothing? Ever. Has anyone ever observed something coming from nothing? I remember when I was newly saved, I was 26 when I got saved, hearing the humorous analogy of the atheist scientist that was challenging the faith in God farmer that if God supposedly made mankind out of dirt, that this atheist scientist said, I too can make something living out of dirt in my lab. The farmer's response, that's fine, but you're going to have to create your own dirt out of nothing. <laughs> you don't get to use his dirt. 
I can take dirt and make it. No, no, God started with nothing. Nothing produces nothing. But God is something. He's eternal. He's forever. So everything comes from him. And look what it says. It says, for by faith we understand that worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. It's actually science right here in this statement, by the way. We'll take a look at that. We look around and we see the beauty of every unique sunset and the infinite creativity. Every, just think every snowflake, trillions upon trillions upon trillions are uniquely different. Everyone at the molecular level is different. Every single one. Just one glacier has more snowflakes than our mind can comprehend. And God makes every one of them different. No computer can do that, by the way. We look at the complexity of just a DNA strand. We finally, uh, in our family, finally watched the movie. Any of you guys seen the movie Hidden Figures? We finally saw it in our family. Awesome movie. I highly recommend it. Uh, you know, not a great time at all in our history with uh, the racism and the prejudice, but an awesome movie. Amazing mind, uh, minds that God gave these women. I felt dumb after I watched it, but uh, they helped NASA get to the moon. Uh, but it was the study of what? Physics and mathematics, mathematical precision of the solar system, Earth's rotation, and gravity. Those three things, there was more to it, but I'm just kind of simplifying it for uh, Earth's rotation, solar system, gravity, all of this, and some other factors. And it allowed them to calculate to precision rocket launches, Earth's reentry, how hot it would be, all of that kind of stuff. All was, none of it's random because the universe laid out like a grid. Math can actually, do, there's no way, it's not like just some just kind of chaos out there. Why? Because the universe was framed by God. The worlds were, here it is in verse 4, the worlds were framed. We actually see precision there. If you ever put your picture in a frame, there's precision, isn't it? You know, it's just like, yeah, hey, we just kind of toss the picture in. No, 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 no. You, you actually, you line up the tape, and you get the ruler, and you lay the glass piece. Everything is framed the same way. God has a precision work of what he's done with the universe. It's laid out, and that's why math and physics and men like Isaac Newton could look and say, wow, this stuff is laid out with precision. It actually makes sense like a clock. And we know with the discovery of atoms, subatomic particles, that the visible world is, in fact, made by invisible things, at least to the naked eye. You can't see a subatomic particle, and yet we're made of them. Invisible, at least to the human eye. And the more we discover how precise and how intricate the universe and the biosphere is, the more it should, the more I study... I actually like science. I, I, I enjoy National Geographic documentaries. I, I like, I read scientific articles. I, even through the pandemic, I follow microbiologists, physicists, different, you know, and there's some really bright people. And, and some of them, if they're not, if they don't have a bias in the, from the get-go and they're just looking at evidence, have come up with some really good things and even assessing coronavirus and things like that. But again, if you really love science, you'll actually love God because you realize that God created it all. And you don't use it as some kind of political tool and all this other stuff that we see today. You say, no, 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 God created it. And that was what George Washington Carver, uh, who was uh, the scientist in the South, African-American scientist, he looked at a peanut. He said, if God designed this peanut, there's got to be a million things that can be done with it. I'm paraphrasing what he said. But he said, if God designed it, 
there's a lot for me to learn about it. And that's true. That's what science is. It's observation. And so the more you observe the scriptures, you realize that we need not just a creator, but the creator who became a savior. It draws us into the word, not away from the word. It should cause us to look to the author of all life and the author of eternal life. Science and observation tell us there has to be a God. The Bible tells us who is God. Amen? Science and observation tells us there has to be a God. The Bible tells us who he is and how we're to respond and be restored to God. Jesus said we need to have what? Childlike faith. We have to become like a little child. Because children, you tell them about Santa Claus, they believe it. You tell them about the Bible, they believe it. But the only problem is Santa's not real. Oh, I'm glad this isn't near Christmas. I'd be in lots of trouble. But anyway, uh, I'd be, it's not, we're nowhere near it. This will be long out of their minds by then. But uh, and they're not even listening. They're in the living room floor right now. But anyway, for those parents, they're like, oh, you just ruined our Christmas. Yeah, but uh, maybe I'll see the Easter bunny next time. But anyway, but God is real. And kids know that when you tell them the salvation plan, they don't start challenging you on it. But adults do because they want to put fig leaves on themselves. They start sewing the fig leaves on. You know, when you teach kids the Bible, they wisely believe it. Though sometimes they misunderstand the meaning. Uh, I love this story. The story of Adam and Eve was being carefully explained in a children's Sunday school class. Following the story, the children were asked to draw a picture that would illustrate the story. Little Bobby drew a picture of a car and three people, one man driving the car, and two people were in the back seat, the man and a woman. The teacher was at a loss to understand how this illustrated the life and the lesson of Adam and Eve. And little Bobby explained, well, that's God driving Adam and Eve out of the garden. <laughs> like an Uber driver or something, you know, like a, just taking them straight out of the garden, you know. So, um, uh, but... But again, kids believe what you, you read in the Word of God, they believe it. That literally. Adults, Jesus said, only believe. Believe. It's funny, we believe in all this other nonsense that's not even true. People, uh, you know, our family over the years, my wife and I went to college in Florida. We were going to Disney and college. I mean, we see people that are fanatical about things like Disney World. You, so much so, you really, they actually believe that it actually can change their life or something. And it, all, it has its limitations, doesn't it? Where we can believe in the Lord. And the more we see the world and we, the more we see ourselves in the scriptures, the more real faith will grow in our life. Real faith will grow as we look into the word. Billy Graham said for years, if, if we can believe Genesis 1-1, we'll have no trouble with the whole rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God. If we can believe in the beginning, God, everything else... Why would walking on water, why would a virgin birth, why would any of that be hard for God who speaks stars into existence? It's not. God can do anything. He has no limitations. Jesus said what is impossible with men is possible with God. There's only one kind of faith that saves us. The, the scriptures, all the scriptures tell us to walk, not by sight, but by faith. And there's only one kind of faith that saves us and changes us, and it's from God. And it's in God, and it's defined by God. And if we didn't have the scriptures, 
Imagine if we didn't have Bibles, God's love letter to humanity. If we did not have the scriptures, we would be in total darkness, like without a compass. We'd have no clue. We would have the evidence that there's a God, because all men are without excuse. Remember, Romans 1.20. We'd have the evidence that there's a God, but we wouldn't have the definition and description and invitation to God of salvation in his son Jesus. But because he so loved the world, we do have the Bible, don't we? We do have the scriptures. We can trust what he said. Romans 10, 17, I I bet I've said this verse five times out of six weeks or so, but I'm going to say it again. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The reason you're sitting here this morning is because I'm not here to read to you the encyclopedia. I'm not here to read to you the writings of Voltaire or some, uh, someone in history. I'm here to tell you what God said. We're all listening. I'm listening to the same. I'm listening to myself, but only in the sense of, Lord, this is your word. We need the word. You see, the unseen needs of the spirit. You have needs in your spirit you don't even know you have. So do I. We don't even understand ourselves. Only God understands us. Which is reassuring to you if you're saying, man, I do not understand who I am. I'm talking about saved people. Like you're, some, you're sometimes discombobulated in life. Or maybe even this morning you got up and you're just out of sorts. God says you have unseen needs in the spirit that I can see. In your soul level, you need to be refreshed. You need to be built up. And only the word of God can do that. Referencing these ver- ver- this verse, D.L. Moody said, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would just come. And he'd already been saved, by the way, here. But I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not come. One day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had up to this time closed my Bible and prayed for faith. Now I opened my Bible, began to study, and faith has been growing Ever since. He was saying that uh, the reading the scriptures guides our prayer life, guides our walk with the Lord, opens our understanding. Uh, let me turn, have you turn to one passage real quick. I was reading it this morning. I just loved it. I, had, I think the Lord had me see it. Just turn with me to Luke's final chapter, Luke 24. Luke 24. And it says, um, it says in Luke 24, this was, he's speaking to these two men on the road to Emmaus. Uh, look at the, uh, verse 30, um, and he broke bread, verse 30, middle of verse 30, Luke 24, and he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Now, it says, and the bottom of verse 34, it says and they told about the things what had happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of bread now there's several metaphors here Uh, you could look at there's a metaphor for the Lord's Supper is here as well but the main emphasis is Jesus said he is the bread of life the word is also called the bread so Jesus takes bread and breaks it And their eyes are open. And what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand is when you break the bread in the morning, 
in your personal life, you break the bread, you will become more understanding of who Jesus is, which will do what? Build up your faith. As D.L. Moody said, it'll, it'll uh, activate your prayer life, what you should talk to God about, and the scriptures themselves open our eyes and our inner soul, our inner man, our spirit needs are met through the bread of the word and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the unseen realm becomes visible to us as Jesus breaks the bread. So when you read the Bible, you pray, Lord, help me to understand what I'm about to read and have that inward change. Amen? Genuine faith. We've got to stop there. We've got a lot to look at in faith. So lots of stuff on the cutting floor. I didn't make it to today's message, but we've got the whole chapter 14 times the word faith is mentioned. So God wants us to spend a few weeks just bathing in an understanding of faith. Genuine faith brothers and sisters, produces a walk of faith. Let's grow and go forward in faith. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just come again into your presence by faith. Lord, we couldn't even have faith if you didn't give us grace. So, Lord, you've given us enough grace to say yes, to say we believe, to have that childlike Lord, that we know these things are true. Lord, there's a lot of things I don't understand and don't know, but I know, Jesus, that you are everlasting, that you're the Alpha and Omega, that you stepped into time and space and that you took on the form of a man, and Lord, that you lived a perfect life and you uh, preached a perfect gospel, and Lord, you suffered and bled and died, and then you conquered the grave. And Lord, all of the things that we can see around us testify that you're the creator, you're the author, and you're the finisher of our faith. And so, Lord, we just humbly bow before you. We want to say thank you, Jesus, that you have begotten us to a living hope and that we can trust in things we've never seen. We've never seen you face to face, but Lord, yet you live within us by the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just continue to help us to grow in faith and to read your word in faith. And, Lord, that your word would go deeper and sink down to that soul level that we would be strengthened, given your peace and given your joy. And I want to speak just for a couple of minutes. We've been doing an invitation every week. We obviously don't have people walking forward or even standing visibly, although we do have people here this morning. Um, but we've been speaking to people at home, and, and I never know who's joining online. We've had people get saved on our online services. We've had people tell us later, I was watching your service, and I got on my knees in my living room and, and gave my life to Christ. And we continue to extend that invitation. It's not really us extending it at all. It's, it's God. Jesus said, come unto me, and I will give you life, living water. And so... If you're listening and you say, you know, I, I don't have that kind of faith. I, I've never really believed in Jesus. I've never believed what he says in his word. Well, the first thing you have to believe is what he says about you, that you're a sinner, that it's not the number of sins you've committed or even what sins you've committed. You were born in sin. Uh, it's not the specific sins. It's the fact that we are born sinners, and sinners sin. Ducks swim, sinners sin. I mean, it's just that it's the nature of who we are. And so we have to say, Lord, I admit, I'm not making excuses. I'm full of sin. I am a sinner. 
and up to this point, if you've not come to Christ, you've rejected Jesus. We talked about last week trampling the Son of God underfoot. You, you've yet so you've spurned grace up until now. But God is gracious, isn't He? Not willing that any should perish. And He's extending this invitation. I look at you know, our nation, and our nation's a rebellious nation. I love our nation. I love the people in our country. I love our neighbors, and I love unsaved people that I meet. But the bottom line is. It doesn't matter what you or I think about anybody. Everyone has to stand before God individually one day. But God so far has extended a lot of grace. And if you're alive and you're listening to this broadcast and you're watching, then God has given you another day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I just want to invite you to first say, Lord, your word is right. I'm a sinner. Then you have to believe in Jesus. Then you have to say, how do I get out of this predicament? I'm going to die, and I've got sin, and I face judgment. And you have to say, Lord, I'm going to put my faith and trust in your son. I'm going to believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask for his forgiveness. And I know it seems really simple, but it's not. It's simple on our end. It wasn't simple on God's end. It cost Jesus everything. 33 years in this dusty earth and then dying a cruel, horrific death on a Roman cross, but then conquering sin, death, and all the demonic force of hell. And so it seems simple, but that's because Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. Our job is to bow our knee. There's an old hymn that you say, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, right? Just as I am. And I'm just invite you to come. And if you say, that's me, I need to finally give my life to Christ. I, I've even known this, and I've put it off, and I've made other things more important, but I know that I must come to Christ, and I can't put it off. That was me 25 years ago. I didn't care at that point. Tears running in my face. I practically ran down the altar, and I've never been the same since because real faith changes us. New creation. Pray with me if that's you. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for entering into this world, living a sinless life, preaching the gospel, and Lord, then going to the cross willingly. No one took your life willingly. Thank you for going to the cross for my sins, dying, suffering, and raising from the dead. Lord, I confess I am a sinner with a lot of sins. And I ask that you'd wash me and cleanse me from each and every one of them. Cleanse me by your precious blood. Forgive me, for I've decided this day to give you my heart and my life and to follow you all the rest of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.